And what's actually really interesting about the, the ministry of Jesus is one third of the gospels are about Jesus healing someone. Like more than one third of the gospels are about him healing someone. Okay, if you didn't think healing was important, like that's a lot. Like a majority of his, his ministry, he was teaching, preaching, and healing. It was a big part of his ministry because healing is a sign of the kingdom of God breaking in. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. First Corinthians 12 verse 4 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Verse 7, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We see, we learned that last week. That's the purpose of every one of these gifts is not for just self-expression. It's for each other. It's to build up the church for the common good. Verse eight, for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another, faith by the same spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit, To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you again, Father, even as we were just so sweetly reminded in worship, Lord, that You've been pursuing and chasing us all along. Lord, since Lord, since the fall, even when we look back, God, in, in your word, since mankind fell, Lord, you've been looking for a way to come back to communion with us, to provide a way. And thank you that, Jesus, you came to be the way for relationship with you, the way to life and life more abundantly. And we just want to remind ourselves of that. We want to rest in that. We thank you, and we're so humbled that we even get the chance to read your word tonight, Lord, and study it. And we pray that as we read it, that we would see Christ in the scriptures, and that in seeing Christ, we would be made like Christ, Lord, in our lives, in our speech, and in our practice. Lord, uh, leading others to you and glorifying your name, God. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place. Speak to us now. Help us to understand confusing subjects, maybe for some of us, Lord, maybe even frightening (laughs) for some of us, God. Uh, We just pray that you would bring clarity, Spirit, where there is confusion, and you would bring order where there is disorder, God. We commit it to you and to your will. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. amen. Well, Welcome back. You guys made it. Last week, we got to talk about, we got to dive straight into, because um, what we've been doing is we've been, we, we've been studying through 1 Corinthians and we've been going through what it looks like, what the church looks like, and we called our study through 1 Corinthians together. And I think I have a sticker somewhere on my laptop of it with the cool tandem surfing, right? We called it together and the whole theme of that was the church either thrives together or it dies together. We as a church are meant to be with one another. And yes, it can be messy. Yes, it's kind of crazy. um, But that is the way God intended it to be, us, the church, not to be solo Christians doing Mission Impossible missions by ourselves, not connected to anyone. But he desires us to be connected to each other, even as God is connected in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we got to um, chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, we kind of took a break and we opened up this little mini-series called Together by the Spirit. And we've been learning who the Holy Spirit is, what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, and even what the gifts are for and going into um, each gift and what it looks like. Last week, I got the chance to, we got the chance to start in the priestly gifts and we got to look at those. And if you remember, the priestly gifts were anything that involved showing mercy or care to those in need and also involved interceding before God. And so if you missed that, listen to that on the podcast. You can catch that message there. 
But one thing that we learned last week that I want us to carry through, even as we learn through all of these different gifts, one thing that we learned last week is, is this one thing, that we come to know what God wants from us by reflecting on the gifts he gives us. All right, and if you remember that, I gave that little cool Narnia example about those, they got the gifts, they knew what they were for, you know, all that funny stuff. Um, made a joke about homeschooling, you know, all that stuff. Um, but that is true in us, the church, and in you and me today, that we come to find even our purpose as Christians in discovering and reflecting on the gifts that God has given us individually. And if you are a follower of Jesus here today, don't fret. You have been given a gift. You might, maybe some of you in here are like, well, I don't even know what that is. That's okay. Hopefully, through this study and through this series, you are able to confidently come through and say, oh, you know, I kind of have an idea of what God has gifted me in. And so, every Christian has been given a spiritual gift, if not um, a number of spiritual gifts. And each gift, like we talked about, looks different in, in everybody that uses it, Right? Andrew teaches differently than I teach. Someone who uses the gift of mercy is going to look different than someone else who uses the gift of mercy. And that's just because God created us so beautifully, creatively, and uniquely. You know, I mean, you look around the room and you just see it. It's wonderful. And, and it's true with the gifts. And so because of that, we shouldn't be comparing. We shouldn't be like, man, that guy's really good at that gift. Or Pastor John's really good at teaching and I'm really not good. Or this and that. And we shouldn't compare and we shouldn't get judgy with each other, um, but instead, remember that the gifts are for each other. They're, they're, they're meant for the purpose of, of, each, of um, ministering to one another. And we kind of closed the message last week with kind of talking about how do you discover these gifts. And one thing that I mentioned and I want to remind us today is that spiritual gifts, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, don't spend time trying to figure it out, okay? God's plan for you is not to just, you know, live off on an island forever and try to discover what your spiritual gifts are, but rather spiritual gifts are discovered in the context of ministry. So if you really want to know what your gifts are, how are you serving? How are you getting involved? How are you getting plugged in to the local church? It's usually through the context of ministry, and I can even speak in, in personal experience in my life, that it wasn't until I started serving in a church and getting involved in a church that I was able to discover the things that God gifted me with. So, they're discovered in the context of ministry. And last week, we looked at three gifts. Anybody remember what those gifts were? Mercy, giving, and service. It was awesome. It was a party. I've never seen so many people set up chairs as much and quickly as we did last service after we talked about what it meant to serve. It was rad. <laughs> so, and, and what was kind of funny about teaching those three gifts um, not that it was easy, but those gifts, when you look at them, they're not very supernatural on the surface. We could say, you know, yes, all the gifts are miraculous, but those three gifts, like especially those mercy, giving, and service, they're a little more natural. And some gifts, in many ways that the Spirit moves, are very naturally in your life. And it's a good way to, to, to focus in on your life and reflect and see how God is moving. Sometimes God moves very naturally. You know, it's not always a you know, a cloud that's in the shape of a state you're supposed to move to, or, you know, you're, you know, you're looking and you're, as you're surfing and you see, like, these fish spell out your spouse's name, and you're like, wow, that easy, huh? Like, this is amazing. Like, it's not always like that, you know? I, <laughs> I think Andrew quoted it, and he said, you know, those are called miracles, not Wednesdays, all right? And there's a reason why. It's because God makes miracles, but it's not like that every day of our life. Some gifts are very natural, but today, oh, today, <laughs> we got to look at some of the supernatural gifts. So I hope you guys are ready. We're jumping into the last two priestly gifts, the gift of tongues and the gift of healing. So pray for me. <laughs> Let's jump right into it. Gift of tongues. Why don't you open your books to the, or your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2. You're going to want to read along with me in this. I don't have these on the screen, so it would be awesome if you could look on your Bible or in a Bible app, whatever you prefer. All right, Acts chapter 2. And so it reads, 
This is after Jesus died on the cross, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, commissioned his disciples out, said, go and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Here in Acts chapter 2, we kind of pick up with those disciples, and it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, that's where we get the word Pentecostal, kind of, kind of based on this event right here, okay, if you ever wonder that. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the disciples, were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Keep reading on. It says in verse 5, Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the sound of them speaking out in tongues, the multitude, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Corinthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia and, and, and so on. Verse 11, um, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians. We hear them right here telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? We'll get to that later but here in this passage we see what happens spirit of god falls the disciples start speaking in tongues pretty crazy right flip over in your bible to acts chapter 10 we're just kind of scanning on these these stories real quick acts chapter 10 verse 44 Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still stay, saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised, that is, believing Jews, Christian Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Here in this story, we see Peter, for the first time, brings the gospel to the Gentiles, non-Jews. The first time ever God's salvation has been offered to non-Jews. And what do we see? Salvation, Holy Spirit comes, and it kind of looks similar to Pentecost, right? They start speaking in tongues. What does this mean? Let's flip over to Acts chapter 19, last one in this book. Acts 19, verse 1. And it says, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. It's a classic answer, right? Maybe some of us in here came in with that. I didn't even know there was such thing as the Holy Spirit. Verse three, and he said, well then into what were you baptized? And they said into John's baptism. That's John the baptizer. You read about him in the gospels. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, and when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 men in all. And so in this passage, we see what happens. Same thing. Holy Spirit comes. Start speaking in tongues. There are about 22 stories in the book of Acts of people coming to faith or, or simultaneously being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we just read all of the three stories in the book of Acts that include tongues. Okay, So maybe that should give you some encouragement here today. Not every time that the Holy Spirit falls does this happen. But... Does it happen when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes, we see it in Scripture. We see it here. Now, there are a couple of wrong teachings about this gift, okay? And we talked about this last week a little bit. We talked about how it's possible to abuse the gifts of the Spirit, but it's possible on the other side how to neglect 
the gifts of the Spirit. To abuse the gifts of the Spirit would look like to go something that is non-scriptural and take it way out of hand, experience something crazy. You might remember the story I gave where I was at a conference and all that weird stuff happened. That, something taken out of context, abusing the Holy Spirit. But also, on the, on the other hand, neglecting a Christian or, or a church that doesn't practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit leaves them dead, powerless, powerless. And so there's three wrong teachings on this gift, you know, especially on, on, specifically on this gift of tongues. First one is, some people might teach, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not scriptural. We see that, right? We just read it even um, in the book of Acts. We reject that. There's no such thing as second-class Christians, all right? We all have received the exact same salvation grace that God has given, and um, what we read was just proof of that. Number two, there's a teaching that says if you don't speak in tongues, you aren't even saved. (laughs) We also reject that one. That's a false teaching. That's also wrong. And the last one, speaking in tongues is not for today. We here at Calvary are continuous, and that's just a really fancy theological word that means that we believe that the gifts are for today, that they're continuing, that they did not cease. Those who don't believe, Christians, and I, I, I have friends even who are part of this group called sensationists, which is, means that they believe the gifts have ceased, that they've stopped, okay? But we here at Calvary, we believe that the gifts are for, are for today, and so we believe that speaking in tongues is a gift that is given for today. So, what does this even mean, though? <laughs> what does this mean? Maybe you were like me, and I was like, tongues? Where, where did that even come from? And no, it wasn't France, right? The Greek word for tongues, <laughs> if you didn't get that joke, God bless you. The Greek word for tongues is the word glossa, all right? And that means, that could better be translated languages, all right? Languages, which sounds a lot less weird, doesn't it? Yeah? Sounds a lot less weird than, t- than tongues. And so where, wherever you see the word tongues used in the New Testament, that Greek word for languages is what it's meant. It's what it's meant. And so we could even call this gift the gift of other languages, which kind of sounds a, le- a lot less strange than the gift of tongues. I don't know if you're like me. And, and, and a lot less weird than that. All right, then, so then what is the gift of tongues, Zach? We've been, what, is this, what does this gift mean? Well, here it is. Here's a solid definition for you guys. Tongues are a form of prayer and praise expressed towards God in a language or in syllables that the speaker does not understand. A more scholarly definition from this guy named N.T. Wright, who's probably one of the best Greek scholars out there, Okay, I don't know if anyone cares in here, but he's one of the best Greek scholars of our day who also has the gift of tongues. He is quoted to saying, and I have it up here, it's super big, tongues refers to the gift of speech, which though making sounds and using apparent or even actual languages, somehow bypasses the speaker's conscious mind. Such speech is experienced as a stream of praise in which, though the speaker may not be able to articulate what precisely is being said, a sense of love for God, of adoration and gratitude, wells up and overflows. It's like a private language of love. That's from a Greek scholar. Wow, pretty cool, huh? Now, some of you might have read that, and you're like, wow, Zach, it's a little too emo for me. (laughs) I'm not too touchy-touchy, feely-feely type. Love, language of love? I don't even know what my love language is. (laughs) Maybe you thought that. (laughs) Hang in there with me, okay? We're going to break this down. I want all of us to come out of, especially today's teaching, to just really have a good scriptural basis for what this means, okay? So don't give up on me yet, all right? Let's break this down. What does the New Testament say about tongues? And let me give you some good news. God's word contains everything that God intended to say upon this matter, all right? God's word contains everything that he intended to say upon this matter. He's not up in heaven saying, man, they really don't get it. Man, I wish I, wish I would have made it clear. Why don't you wait till my second edition Bible comes out? Then I'll, I'll revise that and I'll add more into it. No, God's not up there like that. And we're gonna find where we, and we're so blessed with this gift to find a whole chapter dedicated to how this gift plays out. 
So if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14. Here, we're not going to go through the entirety of the chapter, but I'm going to be pulling a lot of verses from here. But this here is good doctrinal instruction on how this gift is used. Okay? Paul here is writing to a church that they were stoked on the gifts. They took pride in how much they used the gifts. A little too much, right? They were a little too like confident in their giftings when Paul was like, you know what? You're not really that good. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, like I mentioned last week, it's kind of like the first couple of episodes of American Idol. Those people come up, they think they could sing, and you're like, you really can't sing. You're not that good. <laughs> That's kind of like what Paul is telling them, the church here in, in 1 Corinthians 13, or 14, sorry. And, but listen to this. Here in 14, he isn't giving rules for this gift for when you're alone. Let's say like you're praying while on a hike. Or even while you're reading your Bible, like in your devotion times and your private times. What he is writing here is to bring order to a disordered church in Corinth. This whole chapter, when you read it through, it's a compare and contrast between the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. All right, That's a gift. Oh man, that's another gift that we'll get to when we get to the prophetic gifts. And Andrew can kill it on that one. I'm just going to focus on tongues here. But here is a rough quick six-pointer field guide to what Paul says about the gift of tongues here, okay? And remember this. He's talking about how this gift is used in public weekly gatherings, churches. He's not talking about your private life, your private devotional life, your private worship life, okay? So listen to this. Number one, we see that the, these languages, these tongues, they're directed to God and not to people. We see that in verse one. Let's read in verse one and two. Paul writes, he says, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Like we laid out in our definition, these are words of prayer. Tongues are words of prayer and praise spoken to God, not to men. When someone speaks a tongue, and let's say someone interprets it it's never going to be thus says the lord you know you really need to change your haircut because that's horrible or you guys need to get your act together because you're horrible christians that is never what the gift of tongues is gift of tongues is always directed upward towards god it's it isn't thus says the lord but more of a let's bless the lord and that's proven in acts chapter 2 Verse 11 at Pentecost, right? When all those people, like we read in Acts chapter 2, they all heard the disciples speaking in their tongues. And I think I have, do I have this verse back there? Okay, but in Acts chapter 2, one thing that the crowd says is they say, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak tongues, and what do, they, what do the people who are understanding those tongues hear? The mighty works of God. The mighty works of God. So it's directed towards God. In a language, sometimes in a language that people understand. Like in Acts chapter 2. It was all those languages of all those people that were gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover. But it's not limited to known languages. I think you look in, if you look, look it up, there's something like 6,900 and something languages in the world. Which is a ton of languages. All right? But tongues is not just in human languages. Because we read in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, and I think I have this verse up here. Paul's talking about love, right? The chapter that they read when everyone gets married, even though Paul didn't really intend it for that. Um, but here in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul here seems to suggest that it's possible to even speak in the tongues of angels, a heavenly language, he would insist here. A language that no one would understand, but only God. So, number one, these languages aren't directed towards people. They're directed towards God. Number two, with the gift of tongues, we find it here in verse two, and that is that these languages, they don't make sense to the speaker who's speaking it. Look at verse two. He says it, right? For 
One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. You know, if you have the gift of tongues or you speak in the gift of tongues, you know, it's not like you're praying and you're like, man, all of a sudden I'm starting to remember Spanish class from high school. And you just start speaking out and you're like, thanks, Miss Cordova. That was rad. <laughs> like, it's stuck, even though I failed. <laughs> you know, like, that's not what it is. Like, some lost language you had, like, growing up. Maybe some of you, you spoke another language when you were growing up and you kind of lost it as you grew up. For me, it was Spanish. And you're just, it just comes back and you're like, gift of tongues. Like, that's not necessarily what it is, right? Because we look at verse 14 in this chapter. Verse 14 says, Paul says, 14 and 15, he says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So he doesn't, he doesn't understand what he's saying. Verse 15, what am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but also pray with my mind. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my mind also. As Paul explains here, that this gift, it's his spirit speaking directly towards God, even though his mind doesn't understand it even though his mind can't understand it. It's like the mind doesn't have to choose words or sentences or even decide what to pray for. This praying occurs in the spiritual realm. And that's kind of creepy, okay? That's kind of creepy to some of us maybe in here. Like, we talk about the spiritual realm. That's kind of weird. And I don't blame you because we live in a physical world. We're so used to the physical realm. But we can't divorce ourselves from the fact that God's spirit, there is, yes, some of it that we understand and we know in scripture and we hang on to, but there is a part of God's spirit that is mysterious and that is unsearchable. The Bible says that his ways are unsearchable. You know, as we read even last week in John 3 that John, uh, Jesus would say, whoever's born of the spirit, it's like the wind that blows and you don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it goes, you just see the effect of it. It's mysterious. Part of, there's, a, there's an aspect of God's spirit in the spiritual realm that is like that. So why would God give us a gift like this? It seems almost kind of like a, like a pointless gift, right? Kind of like, what is the purpose of this gift? Why, you know, have you ever gotten a, a gift like that for Christmas? And you're like, what? Really, Mom? My mom one time got me jumper cables for Christmas. <laughs> and I was like, God bless you, Mom. I love, I love her so much. But I was like... <laughs> It's like, what? Really? I have jumper cables in my car. I was just, it was like, you know, so, but maybe you've experienced some gifts like that in, in your past and you've been like a little scarring and you're like, what is the purpose of this gift? This gift has no purpose. So what is the purpose of this gift? Why would God give us a gift like this? Well, maybe to keep us humble, to prevent intellectual pride. You know, sometimes we can get so into our study of God that we become prideful in it. We think we're better than others because we know more about the Bible than other people, which is so wrong. Or maybe it's, it's to remind us that God is greater than our understanding. That his ways, even as I quoted that verse, his ways surpass our understanding. You know, the spiritual realm is foreign to us as believers. But when you think about it, a lot of things of what it means to be a Christian, they're, they're kind of, they kind of don't make sense to us, right? We're called to, like the Bible says that prayer and worship affects the spiritual realm. We sing a song about it, it's kind of famous, this is how I fight my battles. Like, really? That doesn't make any sense to the natural world, in the physical world. How does that, how do you fight by singing? Doesn't make sense. Or, if you think about even, um, Jesus says, lay up your treasures in heaven. And you're like, I have no idea what that means, Jesus. <laughs> what does it mean? I'm gonna what send it forward? Like what what is that what does that mean? It's it's Jesus is talking about the spiritual realm. He's talking about the spiritual realm there, even setting our minds on things above, or even to be on defense for spiritual warfare. Listen, speaking in tongues is not um, is just another activity that happens in the unseen spiritual realm. All right? And we believe it's effective, not because we can understand it fully, but because scripture tells us it is. And that's important. We need to base our understanding, especially on God, not on our own experience, but on what scripture says. Experience is super important when you, when you define God. I mean, you can't divorce experience 
from enjoying who God is. But that shouldn't be how we define and we find all of our knowledge of who God is. Because then you'll go, you'll get lost. I mean, if you think God is like you, geez, I thank God that he isn't like me, you know? So speaking in tongues affects the spiritual realm. Our mind doesn't understand it. The spirit understands it. Crazy. Number three, we find out that these languages build up the speaker, but not the church, unless someone interprets it. We see that in verse 4 in chapter 14, 1 Corinthians. Paul says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. The church isn't built up by tongues being spoken in public unless someone interprets it. But Paul says, when you do pray in the spirit, in tongues, the person who speaks it somehow is built up in it. And we'll talk more about that later, about what maybe what that, what that looks like. Number four, we see that Paul's desire, even in this chapter, was to have everyone speak in these tongues and other languages. Look at verse five. He says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So Paul isn't speaking badly on this gift. He's not saying, hey, throw it, throw it away. It's not worth it. It's not worth your time. Focus on the word, on teaching, on things that make sense. He's not saying throw this gift away. Paul loved this gift and even used it. Look at verse um, 18. If you look down in your Bibles, verse 18, look what Paul says here. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Man, Paul had this gift and used it a lot. He isn't wanting the church to do away with it completely. Just look down at verse 39. Even as he closes this chapter, he says, My brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. He's not throwing this out. He's not throwing this out. Number five, we see that what it looks like to be used publicly, okay? Let's say someone were to speak in tongues during a worship service or something like that here. How do we handle it? What do we do? Do we get freaked out? Do we call the police? Do we tackle the guy? Like, what do we, like, what do you do? You know, like, do you, do you like, let him talk the entire time? What, well, Paul lets us know what to do. So simple here. Verse 27, look what Paul says. In verse 27, Paul says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. So Paul says here, if it's done publicly, two, three times max. And that's if there's an interpreter. That's if someone interprets it. That's if someone's interpreting what's being said. Paul's like, at the most, twice. Maybe three times. If you're, like, but um, no more than that. Look down at verse 13, and Paul would kind of go more into detail about, on what, this, what he means by this. He says in verse 13 that, Therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. And that's another thing that if you have this gift, pray that someone interprets it. Pray that someone is able to interpret it. And remember what, I'm, what we're talking about here is that Paul's writing for the purpose of weekly gatherings, okay? Not private worship, not private prayer. He's talking about public church around others. But we see that Paul, what he's getting at, order is important to God. Like, God is not a God of chaos, He's a God of order. When you look down at verse 33, I know I'm jumping around a lot, guys. Stay with me. Verse 33, it says, For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And then also look down at verse 40, and it says, But in all things should be done in decent, decently and in order. Tongues should never be ecstatic or out of control. All right? They should be self-controlled. And those who speak in tongues, if you have the gift of tongues, it's not like somebody who loses awareness of where they're at and they're just like, oh, I blacked out, dude, and I don't know what happened. Like, what happened? The whole room's a mess. And you're like, dude, you, what happened? Like, <laughs> that's not what Paul's getting at here. Paul is saying that order matters and that those who speak in tongues, they shouldn't be uncontrolled like the wild, uncontrolled picture that we might even see in the church today. Because that picture isn't seen in the New Testament. We don't see that in the New Testament. Paul doesn't want us to destroy this gift by neglecting it or, or even seeing the abuse of it. 
We need to ground ourselves in scripture like Christians are supposed to do and discover that that is where we find out how we're supposed to live. And so those who speak in tongues don't do it wildly, but in order and in turn. And when there's an interpretation, the whole church is able to be like, hey, amen, bless God. We found out what that guy said, and it's actually pretty rad. Praise the Lord, and it builds up the church. And that's what Paul's main desire is. is he's like, it's got to build up the church, okay? And I've been in a context where the gift of tongues was used and the gift of tongues was interpreted in a good way, actually here at this church. And it was rad. When the person spoke out, it was a little strange. I'm not going to lie. I was like, whoa. And everyone's like, what do we do now? <laughs> you know, but John's so like, you know, you know, Pastor John, he's just like, he's able to handle anything. He just like, was like, all right, let's pray that God interprets that. And we, everyone was kind of just praying. And then someone just spoke up and just spoke out this praise to the Lord. And it was beautiful. And it was like, whoa, praise, yeah, amen. I was able to understand that. It built all of us up. And that's what Paul is getting at here. If it's done publicly, it's got to build people up. So it's got to be interpreted. But if it isn't interpreted, Paul would say in verse 28, he says, hey, just keep silent to yourself. Let's say someone does speak out in tongues. And it's like, you know, whatever. And then there's no interpretation. It's like, all right, there's no interpretation. So... If you have the gift of tongues, just pray to yourself quietly and silently. Do it that way because we don't want to confuse everyone. God isn't a God of confusion, but rather a God of order and a God of peace. So hopefully that makes sense. I know that was a lot, guys. I know that was like a lot to kind of get through that chapter, and I just ran through it as quick as I could. If any of it doesn't make sense on this, please don't hesitate to ask Pastor Andrew or email him, okay? <laughs> if you have any concerns about it all and you're like, what? That was a little heretical. I have my stones. I'm ready to toss at Zach. Aim towards Andrew. Throw those, like, just, you know. But, <laughs> but before we close this gift off, I just wanted to do two quick encouragements on this gift. And the first encouragement in this gift is um, in praying in tongues in a private setting, not a public setting, that this is another form of prayer and praise towards God, right? We talked about that. That it's an additional means of fellowship directly with God in worship and prayer. That just as like what we did, right, you know, the, the couple of minutes, 30 or so, 40 minutes that we did before the message, just as we all engaged in prayer and worship, and how did you guys feel after it? Hopefully you felt edified. Hopefully you felt, man, I just able to lay my burdens down. Like that's, what the gift of tongues is meant to be to the person who speaks it. And so, done privately, it does edify. It does bless. Because there are times in prayer, as you're interceding before God even, maybe on behalf of somebody or someone else who's sick, someone who's lost, who's not saved, someone who's oppressed by the enemy, or someone who's in desperate need of God, and as you're praying and you're interceding for them, words just fail. Words just fail, and there the gift of tongues is beneficial to the person using it. You know, or maybe even in times of worship where you're just praising and you're like, you're like, man, the latest Maverick City worship song just doesn't do it. Like, or, you know, you're like, God is so much greater than one song, than one lyric, than one melody line, than one chord, you know, progression. And you're just like, and the only way is just not enough to, Within, there's not enough worship with, or there's not enough words to express the worship within you, and that's where tongues well up within you towards prayer and praise towards God. And I love the way that that N.T. Wright says it, that Greek scholar I was telling you about, and I have the quote up here. He says, "Such prayer was and is powerful in evoking the presence of Jesus, celebrating the energy of the Spirit, and interceding for people and situations, particularly." when it isn't clear what exactly to pray for. And so, in that, you don't always know what to say. You don't always know what to pray for. You don't even know how to worship. You're like, ah, and it just, it wells up within you, and, and it comes out, and this gift is useful and beneficial to the person, the individual in that one. And that's what makes this gift kind of crazy and, and a little different is that most of the gifts, all the gifts are meant to bless and benefit everybody else. And this one, unless it's interpreted, it only benefits the person who uses it. Okay? And secondly, like I, like I said, it takes faith to use this gift. 
It takes faith, just like it does to use any gift, okay? And so maybe you're kind of in that same place that I was. Maybe you're not. <laughs> That's okay, all right? Maybe you're like, Zach, I have no idea what this means. You're kind of freaking me out right now. I want to leave. Like, this is weird. Like, you know, or, or you're like, I could care less about this. That's totally okay with me, okay? It doesn't hurt me at all. But maybe you're in that camp that I was in, and you're like, Lord, I want more of you. Like, if, if this is your will for me, Lord, more. Give it to me. Understand that it takes faith to use it just like it does any gift, you know, just like it would to use the gift of mercy or to use the gift of miracles or to use any of these even um, gifts of the spirit. It takes faith to step out in them because like with this gift, the mind doesn't understand what's, what's happening. And so remember, not everyone has this gift. And if you don't, that's totally okay. You're not less of a Christian for that. And these gifts they're part of what the Spirit does. Don't forbid it. Don't neglect it. Scripture teaches it, man. Scripture teaches it. But they're primarily meant to do what? To build up the person, not the church. So when it's done in the church, two, three, at max, if there's an interpreter. But if not, then feel free to do it privately in your worship to God. Because this is great private prayer in times of worship with singing or in times of intense prayer. This this. This works really well. It's, a be, it's very beneficial. And so if you have any more questions on that, you don't be afraid to ask me. That one I'm, first, I'm serious about. Come to me afterwards if you're like, that was weird. Please come and tell me, okay? Oh, thank you, Lord. Okay, gift of healing. Well, let's, finish this, let's finish this strong. Gifts of healing. This is the last one for today. Another miraculous gift. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9, and we see it listed there in... 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9, it says, To another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing. Gifts of healing. Now, the meaning of this phrase, healing, means to cure, to heal, to make whole. But what's actually really interesting is that this phrase actually means also to free from sin and bring about salvation. This, this gift of healing. And now, if you've read the Bible for any amount of time, maybe you're familiar with this, but if you didn't know this, the way that God created man intentionally and the world was without sickness, was without death. But what ruined it? Sin, right? Sin ruined it. Adam, Eve ate the apple. They sinned. And since then, the result of that fall was the curse of illness, disease, which outwardly worked to death. But praise the Lord that the awesome part of that story is that Christ came to redeem us from that death, from that death, from that curse of death. And so turn to Luke chapter 4. I want you guys to see this in your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, we see the ministry of Jesus. It's really rad when he starts his ministry. It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee, and a report went about him throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. Verse 16, he came to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as it was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So rad. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it's written. And he's about to read this passage from Isaiah that's the messianic prophecy. Isaiah wrote this hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And Jesus is about to read this passage that's prophesying about the Messiah. Okay, verse 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's the Messiah, Jesus. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to captives to recover sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And check this out. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to those that sat down and the eyes of the entire synagogue were fixed on him, verse 21. And he said to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Crazy. So Jesus just starts his ministry and he says, I'm fulfilling this messianic scripture right here. Healing, the blind receiving their sight, good news being proclaimed to the poor, liberty to the captives, 
Liberty to those who are oppressed, the, the year of the Lord's favor. And what's so cool is that when you go on in this chapter, you, you find that later on in these verses, Jesus ends up healing a man with an unclean spirit, with a demon. He heals a man there. And then he goes to Peter's house, heals his mother-in-law. Okay, no shame on mother-in-laws here. He heals his, Peter's mother-in-law from a fever. He rebukes it, the Bible says. He rebuked it and it left her. But look at verse 40. In your Bibles, it says that now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. And demons also came out of many crying out, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So rad. We see Jesus starting this ministry. He proclaims that he is the Messiah in the synagogue casts out a demon, rebukes a fever, starts healing people and casting out demons. This is the start we see here in Luke 4 of Jesus' redemption, his redemptive ministry. And what's actually really interesting about the, the ministry of Jesus is one-third of the Gospels are about Jesus healing someone. Like more than one-third of the Gospels are about him healing someone. Okay, if you didn't think healing was important, like that's a lot. Like a majority of his his ministry, he was teaching, preaching, and healing. It was a big part of his ministry. And the cool thing is, when you look at the book of Acts, it didn't stop with Jesus. You know, maybe you're like, well, that was Jesus. Stop there. Nope, it didn't stop with Jesus, because you read in Acts chapter 5 that Peter even healed people. Like, they brought people out in the streets to lay out on mats, and they waited for Peter's shadow to pass by in hopes that they would be healed. And even Peter would, they were bringing sick to, to Peter, and, he, and it says that um, in Acts chapter 5 that he healed all those that were afflicted with unclean spirits and those who were sick with various diseases. So it didn't stop with Jesus, and it didn't stop with Peter. It's continuing today because healing is a sign of the kingdom of God breaking in. Like I said before, God didn't create us to just live to our 70s, have a great time in our 20s, get married, you know, whatever, and then die. That's not what God created us for. Jesus said, I came to give life and life more abundantly. We must understand that it's in God's heart to heal. When you look at the Old Testament, even in the book of Exodus, we see that one of his names is Yahweh Rapha. And that Hebrew name means the Lord, your healer. That's who he is. That's his heart. But when you, if you notice, when you read the Gospels, when Jesus preached about this kingdom, he preached it interestingly. He preached it that it was now, but it was also not yet. It was like an already, but not quite. And he preached it that way. Now, today, we can pray for someone and pray, Lord, heal this person. Heal them, God, and they get fully healed. But because it's not yet, sometimes we pray for people and they aren't healed. It's, just, we, it's interesting. We live in this middle ground, this like tension between God can do it, but God's kingdom isn't fully here yet. Christ has not reigned fully yet. And we live in this, this almost awkward tension between the two. And we don't want to stray to one or the other of those, to be one of those people that comes to people and you're like, man, God heals every disease. You have to have faith. If you don't have enough faith, then you're not, you're not healed. That's, the, that's why you're not getting healed because you don't have enough faith. Man, that's false doctrine. That's not right. We, we shouldn't stray to that polar, but we also shouldn't stray to the other and be someone that's like, well, I mean, God will eventually heal you in heaven, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> You know, we're just going to pray that God helps you endure this, this disease that you're dealing with. You know, that's, that's also not taught in Scripture. That's not taught in Scripture. Don't stray to any one of those. You know what Scripture does tell us about healing? It tells us that Jesus used it to authenticate the gospel. So he used healing to let people know that this was truth, what he was preaching. It brought comfort to those who were ill. And let them know that God was near, that God's a merciful God, that God cares about you. Even any one of us here in this room, maybe you walked in here and you're like, 
if, if anyone knew what was going on in my heart right now, like, I'm about to break. Like, this is my last straw. This is why I'm here. Like, I, it was hard enough to even walk through these doors. Maybe that's you tonight. God uses even this gift to let us know that he's near, that he's merciful, that he hears, that his desire is that. And it provides an opportunity for God to be glorified. And you know what's interesting? When you look at, in 1 Corinthians, about the gifts of healing, you see that there's an S given there, the gifts, plural. And that's because there's, a, there's many types of healing. There's many types of healing that someone can endure. It could be a physical one. It could be an emotional type of healing. It could be a spiritual type of healing. But I just want all of us to understand just this one thing, and I'll close with this, guys. Sorry, I didn't mean to go this long. But I wanted us to close with this. When you look at this gift, and maybe you have some questions on this gift, and you're like, well, what is it? What if, you know, you have the question, does God use medicine? Yeah, he does. He does use medicine. You know, we have nurses here that are first, like, first in line to see that work, to see God using medicine. Yes, God does use medicine. And then you maybe ask that question, well, what if God doesn't heal? What if you pray for someone and God doesn't heal them? We have to understand and trust that even in that, not all of our prayers for healing are answered in this age that we trust that God knows what's best for our good and for his glory. I mean, Paul, even Paul the Apostle, where it's written that he would, people stole his handkerchief, his sweatband, and it, wherever they brought that handkerchief with sweat, I don't understand this, but people were healed by that. Like, the Bible teaches that. That's scripture. Okay, Paul who would heal people that way. That's pretty boss. That's pretty amazing. So Paul who would heal people that way would write that, I prayed three times for this thorn in the flesh that God remove it from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And he didn't heal Paul that. What? So God uses Paul to heal others, but God won't heal Paul? God ultimately knows what's for our good and for his glory. That's where we need to hold on to scripture. You know, we need to be like, even I really have enjoyed that, you know, this quote from Spurgeon, it's been a quote that I've, I've, I've um, referenced to myself all the time, but Spurgeon says, I've learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. How many of you in here today can say that because of a trial, God used that to bring you closer to him? I mean, that's part of, also part of God's redemptive story in this world, that he takes what the enemy intends for evil and he uses it for good. So we as Christians, even when God doesn't heal, we learn, like Spurgeon says here, to in some unnatural to the world type of way where we embrace it because it brings us closer to the rock of ages. It throws us closer and nearer and more on dependence to God. And so I'm just going to leave us with this. The gift of healing. The Bible tells us that if you're sick, in faith, ask for prayer from a leader or a pastor and believe that God can heal you. Sorry, not that they can heal you, but believe that God can heal you. You know, Jesus said it a lot of times. He said to, to those that he healed, he said, your faith has made you well. And there's other times where Jesus said, where it said that Jesus was, was, wasn't able to do a great thing because of their unbelief in that town. Faith has a big part to do with it. Not that it's completely dependent upon it. You know, you're like, oh, but I believe and I'm not healed yet. God, like I said, God knows, what's, God knows what's best. But the Bible does teach, if you're sick, don't be afraid to come up to a leader, to a pastor, and ask for healing. The book of James talks about that. Um, I don't have time to quote that, that verse. But verse, verse or, or sorry, so second point is, maybe you're on the other hand. You're praying for someone to be healed. Have faith that God can, is the God of the impossible. And that he can do it, but also trust him that he has a higher purpose in it. God calls us to pray for others, to pray for people, to seek healing out in other people's lives. And lastly, just invite the Spirit while you're praying, if, if that's the case. And be, just because God doesn't do it once, don't quit. Don't stop there. Keep going. Keep praying. You know, I'll close with these last two stories. 
personal stories of my life, from small to big healings, okay? Small healing. I was leading worship, didn't know what I was doing, just started leading worship. I was a punk kid. I was really lame. And anyways, you don't even know about my past like that. But I got like this gnarly migraine that like I could even open my eyes. Like anyone ever had migraines like that where it's like just like light is so sensitive. Just like, it was just gnarly. I was about to go up on stage to lead worship and I was like, God. And like, but in my head I was like, this is just a headache. I don't need to, don't worry, I'll just put, I'll just power through it. But God humbled me and was like, ask your pastor to pray for you before you go. Like, why are you being so prideful? Like, I've, I've equipped the saints for this. This is my heart. And so I like, I like humbly went to my pastor. I was like, I have like a headache. Like, is it cool if you pray for me? And he laid his hands on me, anointed me with oil, prayed over me. My headache was gone. Like that. You know, from small, something small like that, God heals. But even to something big. Man, there's a testimony of a young college girl who was a missionary in Cambodia. She came to this church, our church for prayer. Um, while she was out on the mission field, she wasn't feeling well. Things were kind of going south with, her, um, her, with just her health. She didn't know what was happening. Went back to the states where she was from to only find out that she has a rare form of cancer. Okay? A, a form that is so rare that the doctors weren't even sure, sure how to respond and treat it. So her parents and her, they bring her to the church here. And um, I remember being there. And all the pastors, all the leaders had her there in Pastor John's office, laid hands on her, and prayed over her that God would heal her. And it's wild. And the next days following that, she would go to the doctors to assess her treatment for that rare cancer. But when they would do that scan of her body and get that info back. The doctors were baffled because the cancer was gone. God healed her. So amazing. From a headache to cancer. Does God heal always? Like I said, no, not always, but he can. Nothing is too small to bring to him, and nothing is too big that he can't heal, deliver, restore from. And so, tongues and healing. Thank you guys for bearing through with me for that one. I know that was a hard one. Let's pray. We're going to pray and, and close off tonight. The Lord really put it on my heart that maybe there's some of you here in this room. You need deliverance. You need healing. Maybe it's something huge. Maybe it's something small. Bring it to the Lord. Man, some of us leaders are going to be standing in the back during while Bren kind of closes us out in worship. And we're going to kind of allow this extended time of response worship. You know, if you have to go, that's totally fine. Don't worry about it. You don't have to stay for all this. But if you want to stay and, and you want to be a part of this, some of us leaders will be back there in the back. And if you need prayer for healing, we're going to do exactly what the Bible says. We're going to lay hands on you. We're going to pray that God can do the impossible. But we're going to trust it to the Lord and trust it to him. And maybe you feel like, hey, I want to pray for the person next to me, my friend who I know. You can do that too. It's not limited to pastors. It's not limited to leaders. It's given to the entirety of the body of Christ. So we're just going to close in worship and kind of close in that, in that state. And, and when Bren kind of plays through these songs and when he closes in prayer, we'll, kind of, we'll close it off. But it would be wrong for us not to close a, a teaching on something like this and not give you the opportunity to practice that or to allow you to experience that. So let's pray together. Oh, Lord. <laughs> God, thank you so much for your goodness that just, Lord, your grace is so sufficient in our weakness, God, and we know our weaknesses, Lord. Lord, you know us to the deepest part, Lord, our insecurities, the pain that we feel, maybe even some of us in this room, <laughs> from sicknesses, the lack of peace in our mind, maybe from trauma in the past, or even our recognition of sin and our recognition of, of, of us needing to be ultimately healed with salvation. Lord, you see it all. Thank you, God, that your name is Yahweh Rapha, Lord, our healer. We just commit ourselves to you, Lord. We commit ourselves 
as the church, we, we understand that we don't want to be those that sit in the stands. God, we want to be those that walk in the spirit, that walk in faith. We don't want the story of our life to be that you could do no mighty work because of unbelief in our lives. Don't let that be our story, God. Grant us faith, Lord. Just give this time to you.